Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Justin Ruderman. And I'm Garrett Post. And today we'll be covering our Match Week 19 fixtures in the Premier League, the Boxing Day fixtures, um, as well as answering a good amount of questions that we got from you guys on our Twitter page. Yeah, thank you so much for listening to last week's episode. We are in person yet again this week, um, I think probably for the last time for a little bit, so we will enjoy it while we can. Um, But we really appreciate all the interaction on Twitter, and we will answer as many questions today as we have time for. And that should be a good amount, Justin, because there were quite a few cancellations. My Everton, for example, we were supposed to play Burnley yesterday on Boxing Day, um, but that game was postponed. Um, But there were, I believe, seven games for us to talk about, Justin. Let's start um, at the Etihad. It was the first game of the week. Um, and it was your city taking on Leicester in a game that ended up being absolutely mental. It was. It was a game. Well, it started off with just complete city domination early yeah. on, right? Uh, in the first 20 minutes, it was completely city. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne scoring in the first five minutes. Mares with a penalty in the 14th. Gundogan in the 21st. I mean, at that point, when Gundogan scored that third goal, it looked, I mean, this was going to be a rout, right? Which, I mean, it kind of ended up being, but the the second half was a completely different story. Immediately uh, when Leicester came out, Madison, Lookman, and Iannaccio all within 10 minutes scored and made it a game immediately. Yeah, it was 4-3 because also uh, Raheem Sterling also took a penalty in the first half. That's correct. And so it became 4-3 immediately and, and a game of it, right? Um but it, Laporte responded within four minutes of that. That was Nacho really goal. important. It sure was, yeah, because the momentum there was clearly shifting to Leicester. Um, Laporte had made a mistake himself. The defense was a little bit all over the place. Uh, Diaz was not not didn't have his best game. I think we can all say. Um, so it, it was really the momentum was shifting there, and Laporte just said no more, not in my house, and just banged a header into the goal um, off a corner. Uh, and then, of course, Raheem Sterling getting another one in the 87th just to make it a little bit, uh, the scoreline a little bit nicer, right, for that 6-3. Yeah, I mean, one, it, it was just crazy because I was not expecting this script to get flipped like that so much out of halftime, right? right. It's 4-0. Like, this, this game seems dead and buried already. Leicester were all over the place in that first half. They looked absolutely awful. No Jamie Vardy. Um, they had nothing going forward, and it was utter domination from City. But then out of nowhere, you know, Lester just decided, you know what? No, we don't want this to happen. We're going to – I don't know. They just, It almost just like they flipped the switch. Yeah. And, and they were like, we're going to absolutely destroy you on the counterattack. And that's what they did with Madison and Lookman and Iannaccio and scoring three goals in 10 minutes. They basically said, okay, City, well, you want to score four goals in 25? Let's do three to 10. How do you – three in 10. How do you like that? And, uh, you know, that Laporte header was big because City needed a response. If uh, Leicester score a fourth there, like that would have been insane. So it was, you know, a, a crucial header from Laporte. Happened to be the one corner that Kevin De Bruyne, my captain on FPL, wasn't taking. <laughs> so I was not best pleased about that. But, um, yeah, an exhilarating game. A great watch. Condolences to anyone who missed it. Yeah, absolutely. The at four nil, the Leicester fans were chanting the away support. We're gonna win five four. I I was laughing at it, and then they and then they and then I got scared and for the, a second. And then you were like, "Wait." <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, we can go from that to the other big scoring game, exciting game of the week, uh, in at at the London Stadium, Southampton visiting West Ham. 
it was Mohamed El Yanusi with a really good finish uh, from outside the box in the eighth minute to put West. I mean, sorry, to put Southampton Southampton up one uh, nil. There wasn't a lot, a ton of action in that first half until the second half when uh, Antonio came off the bench and scored. A lot of FPL managers again happy with that. One. Myself included. Right, <laughs> um, and then it was Broja earning the penalty, just you know fighting. Through, through a defender and, and essentially getting tackled inside the box. James Ward-Prowse, as he does. He doesn't, it. yeah, he doesn't yeah, miss those. Not going to miss that. I mean, he's he'll, he makes uh, free kicks look like penalties, so he's not going to miss penalties. Yeah, I mean, I, I would argue the best, you know, dead ball specialist in the Premier League. In Pro- the world. Probably in the world. In the world, probably. absolutely. You know, yeah. it's a shame for James Ward-Prowse that there's still a guy named Leo Messi, you know, who's kind of a thing. <laughs> so, but James Ward-Prowse at the moment, you know, I don't think you could pick anyone else to to take a free kick, you know, unless, I mean, you could still say Messi just overall throughout his career because yeah. he is the best free kick taker of all time, in my opinion. But, you know, Ward-Prowse in the Premier League, at least, you know. Yeah, Kevin DeBroyd has to be in the conversation. Oh, for well. sure. For but, sure. But it's it's that those players, I mean, Lionel Messi is the best player all around. Kevin DeBroyde does a lot more than just take free kicks. James Ward-Prowse, don't get me wrong, he does a lot of work on the pitch, but that is his specialty. That no, is it is. For. That's what he catches your eye with, right? Like, he works really hard. His work rate, there's been a lot of stuff about just the insane amount of games, consecutive games that he's played, um, and he puts in a lot of work in, in that four kind of triple two formation that Hassan Hoodle employs, and they rely on him to be a workhorse. But, you know, that's not what's going to be the the jaw-dropping, breathtaking moments that he has, right? It's going to be him, you know, banging in free kicks from 25 yards, has done like twice within 10 minutes last season, you know. So, yeah, easy penalty for him. Slots it in the bottom left corner, um, right? And so then Southampton 2-1 lead, and it was an instant response from West Ham. It was uh, Jared Bowen going down the right wing, Playing one in, and it was Saeed Ben Rama who's been off the score sheet for for quite a while, right? Was in some fantastic form at the beginning of the season, kind of dropped off, but um, now you know getting back on the score sheet made it two two. Um, but Southampton, they said, nope, we're not letting these three points get taken from us. Jan Bednarek header, you know, kind of a, a vintage Southampton goal, um, and and they take all three points at the London Stadium, and, you know, it's a big win for them, and it's a big loss for West Ham, obviously, in the race, even for top four, obviously, you know, definitely in the top six race, um, as they've been having another really good season thus far, so um, quite an interesting result, definitely not what I saw coming, but um, yeah, as you said, another high-scoring, entertaining game. Yep, absolutely, yeah, it, it leaves West Ham uh, in sixth place, as you say, on 28 points uh, level with Manchester United, but they have played one more game uh, than Manchester United. So, yeah, definitely definitely getting tight in that top six, top four race. Um, absolutely. Here's another high-scoring game, Justin, that we can talk about, but this time all of them were for one team. It was Arsenal <laughs> going to um, going to Carrow Road uh, to take on uh, Dean Smith's Norwich City. Um, and there was, you know, th- this was kind of looking at that at that City Leicester game. You know, there was a flip of the, of, of the script there, and one team came back from getting pummeled. Where in this game, it was just one team getting pummeled for ninety minutes. Um, that obviously was the Canaries, who were battered five nil by Mikel Arteta's men, who have been in, in very good form recently. Um, Bukayo Saka, I think, was the standout performer. Had two goals. Um, Kieran Tierney. You know, obviously we know a a good left back. He's had injury problems, and that's really the one thing holding him back um, from from being one of the best left backs in the league for sure. If he isn't 
already. Um, he scored as well. And then it was Alexandre Lacazette uh, scoring a penalty. That made FPL managers happy, uh, both of us yep. included. Um, and then in typical fashion, inevitable fashion, oh, it was Emile Smith-Rowe coming off the bench and scoring in stoppage time, um, which is what, the like the fourth consecutive substitute appearance where he scored? It's, broke some record. It Crazy. Justin literally texted me during this game saying ESR is coming off the bench, bet he scores, and he did. It's it's so predictable at this point. Another one with FPL managers are happy about if you own him. Um, I'm one where my opponents own him, so I just get so frustrated. Every time he continues to come off the bench, he doesn't start. I'm like, oh, great, they're not going to score points. Comes off that bench. And, and it's in stoppage time, too. It's the most meaningless oh, goal total ever. garbage time. Fifth, fifth Fifth of five nil and in stoppage time, it means nothing. Um, but it is what Emil Smith Rowe does recently. He just continues to come off the bench. And Norwich City, what they continue to do is continue to get pummeled. Yeah. They've, they've gotten pummeled by City, they've gotten pummeled by Chelsea, they've gotten pummeled by Spurs, Arsenal this time. It, it it's becoming a pattern. Um, I don't think anybody's surprised by that either. No, they have the worst goal difference in the league. Obviously, they, they are now back to being bottom of the table as Newcastle drew with United today, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Where they rightfully belong. Putting them at a, at, on 11 points, Norwich still on 10, but, you know, negative 31 goal differential <laughs> oh through 18 games. Uh, yeah, not great. Um, but also, I think I think we do have to mention Martin Odegaard picking up two assists. Yes. You know, he's a player who I've always thought if the whole Arteta experiment, if you will, is going to work out, that's a signing that they need to come good. They need him to perform week in, week out if they really do want to get back into Europe. Um, and so far, he's been doing it. He was really good against Everton, I thought, um, despite the fact that we did come back from behind to win that game. I think he had an assist last week and then um, had two assists this week, so... Um, you know, a creative player, and I was honestly very jealous when they signed him, um, I, even on loan last year, but especially permanently this summer because, you know, he was very, very impressive at Sociedad, and I've been following his career since kind of he broke through back when he was like 16, you know, the big name acquired by yeah. Real, um, and, and he is a very, very talented player, and um, he's showing that right now, And but Arsenal need him to keep doing that. Um, if, if they want to compete, they that this puts them back up into fourth spot, but they have played three more games than their North London rival Tottenham, um, who are on 29 points. Um, so they're six points ahead of Tottenham. And speaking of Tottenham, they also played on Boxing Day. They hosted uh, South London rivals uh, in Crystal Palace. Justin, talk us through this one. Yeah, um, this was Spurs really... Under Conte, they're starting to find form. They're starting to look good. Um, they still haven't lost under Conte. They it, it looks promising. I mean, Kane back on the score sheet, Mora and, and Song Hyun Min. So I mean, uh, that that is who you expect to see on the score sheet for Spurs when they're playing well. Uh, those three players, and then of course you know Zaha red card really helped out. I'm not sure what. Uh, Zaha was doing. He took Boxing Day to a new level with that one. <laughs> that was that was there was I saw plenty of tweets like that. It was getting nabbed all over the place. Took Boxing Day too literally. But I mean, I think I the more like insightful tweets about that that I was seeing is that it is um, becoming apparent that it's really easy to get under Wilfred Zaha's skin, and that's something that he needs to sort out because you know 
going on. They're already down 2-0 at this point, right? Uh, Spurs scored two goals in, in two minutes in the 32nd and 34th through Kane and Mora, respectively. And then Zaha goes and does that to Davinson Sanchez, gets sent off. And, you know, at that point, this game's over. But yeah, you said Harry Kane on the score sheet for the second time in a row, right? Scored last week as well. I think that's the first time he's done. I'm, I actually, I'm, I'm sure that's the first time he's done <laughs> yeah, it this season because he only has three goals. Um, so, you know, obviously Spurs need him to start performing. Um, and, and he is now getting there a bit. And then Son, of course, always going to score. Um, you know, great player. But yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's really all about what Spurs do with those three games in hand that they have over, you know, basically the rest of the top four, bar Liverpool, who um, have 18 games played uh, thus far. But Spurs find themselves in a good position. They have two games in hand on West Ham, who are right, West Ham, West Ham who are right behind them. 28 points to 29, right? West Ham losing to Southampton. That's a good result for Spurs. And so if they can, you know, take advantage of those full three games in hand, um, you know, they could easily find find themselves in fourth, even third, in, you know, by the end of January. Yeah, absolutely. And it you see the form picking up. I mean, Palace have been relatively good this season, uh, impressing a lot of people. And they just got dominated in this game. I mean, zero shots on target for Crystal Palace. That is what uh, Spurs well, fans. Well. Yeah, well, that's what Spurs fans like to see as well. Though it's it's quality defense, um, you know, locking it down, and then on the other side, seventeen shots, six of them on target for Spurs. So, getting forward as well, doing it on both ends of the pitch. This is Conte's looking good so far. Yeah, obviously being a man up helps with that oh, true, a lot. True. But looking at their fixtures coming up, they have Southampton tomorrow morning. Um, that's a definitely a winnable game. Obviously, they can just are coming off a good victory against West Ham, but short turnaround. Think Tottenham will probably have too much for them. Then they have Watford, um, and then it really starts getting tough for Spurs. And and I think that's really what's going to test kind of Conte's metal. See yep. how he can cope with this, you know, squad which is you know deep in certain areas but very thin in others. They have Chelsea um, across both legs of of the EFL Cup semifinal, right? The Carabao Cup. Um, and then they have the North London Derby, and then Chelsea in the league. And speaking of Chelsea, Justin, um, they also played on Boxing Day. We'll move to their game um, going on the road to Villa Park, um, and a come-from-behind victory for them. Yeah, it, it was. It was... Um... 3-1, all, all four goals coming from Chelsea players, though, because it was Reese James with the own goal um, in the 28th minute. It was, I mean, what a finish it was from Reese yeah, James. Yeah, I mean, very unlucky, right? Just kind of throws ahead at Matt Target's cross, and it happens to flick perfectly right over Mendy, almost into the top corner. Yeah, um, yeah so very unfortunate, um, especially for me. Uh, as a Reese James owner in FPL, yeah, was was not happy about that. Um, but Chelsea came roaring back through Pengino, um, who scored two more penalties. Oh, but man. the first of which in the 34th minute, um, just calm penalty. And then it was Lukaku on his return finding what would end up being the winner. Um, it was a lovely cross in, nice header. Um, it was the cross was from Hudson Odoi, who you know people have been talking about. He's been playing much better this season. Um, so nice assist for him there. And then Lukaku was, you know, barging through, completely shrugged off Matty Cash um, in, in the 93rd minute and was taken down by Courtney House, I believe. Um, and then it was uh, Penginho yet again <laughs> to slot it in. I mean, the, the man's really going to finish as Chelsea's top scorer two seasons in a row solely from the penalty spot. 
Um, it's kind of a crime against football a little bit, but you do have to have to you know respect the fact that the man doesn't really miss penalties other than the one that Jordan Pickford saved in the final of the Euros this summer. But in the Premier League, at least, uh, Jorginho is absolutely clinical from the spot. Yeah, he sure is. He sure is. Yeah, it's um, as you say, yeah, crime to football. It, it, it gets annoying, but. You understand it. I saw some stat about Chelsea have gotten more. Or Jorginho has scored more penalties than Spurs have gotten in the past two and a half seasons, or something That's like that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Um, he just keeps scoring them. But to oh, me, the penalty was on Konza, by the way, not Courtney House. Yeah. So, um, but but to me, this was about Lukaku. I mean, he came on in the second half and he looked really good immediately. Uh, dominating people physically, and that's how he won the goal. He scored his goal, obviously, just stepping in front of uh, Ezra Konza, who was unable to do anything. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's Chelsea again finding a way to win. They haven't been in a great form, so whatever they can do, you know, to get the win is is big for them because um, they obviously hadn't won their previous two uh, Premier League games. So yeah, they, only scraping out draws. Right, need that. So it leaves them in third place, still um, level on points with Liverpool, of course, but with one more game played. So yeah. so behind them um, and behind them on goal difference as well. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm still unconvinced by Chelsea uh, recently. I think Lukaku will be a major piece, obviously. Huge. And, and it has to be, yeah. Yeah, him getting back into form is going to be massive, and, and obviously he's just starting. So hopefully he'll get a start soon. I mean, you, you wonder... Um, they play Brighton next, and then of course the Liverpool game on January second, which is oh, I'm excited for that. Yeah, it's gonna be a fantastic one. That's gonna be the last game before uh, all the players go off to Afcon, right? So Liverpool will lose Salah and Mane after that, um, and Keita. And Keita. Not right? that that matters anywhere near as much as the other two, but right. yeah. Um, so that that'll be yeah an exciting game. But hopefully Lukaku will start at least in that Liverpool game, if not in the Brighton. Oh game. yeah, yeah. That definitely start, starting that Liverpool game will make it. You know, that's going to be one of the biggest games of the year for sure. Really looking forward to that. Um, And Justin, let's move on to the final game of Boxing Day. Um, It was Brighton hosting Brentford at the Amex um, and finding a 2-0 win. Goals through, you know, kind of exactly who you would expect to be scoring for Brighton. It was Leandro Trossard and Neil Maupai. They're two, you know, I'd argue most talented attacking players. Um, and they needed them to come up with, with goals, and they did. And they found a 2-0 win against the Bees, who, you know, started the season really hot, but but have been just extremely inconsistent as of late. Um, and, and this win takes Brighton up into ninth place above Leicester and Villa. Um, and, you know, good season so far for them. They also only have 17 matches played, although most of the, most of the teams in that area of the table have only had 17 as well. Brentford down to 13th on 20 points. Um, so, yeah, I mean, good result for Brighton. Not much that for them to complain about. Just barely edged possession. I mean, really, Brentford it didn't seem like a horrible performance on paper. Um, but, you know, they, they weren't clinical in, in the final third. Ivan Tony couldn't find the net. Brian and Buemo's been kind of having a dip, of, a dip in form recently after obviously starting the season super hot. So, you know, big win for Brighton puts them back up into the top half of the table, um, and yeah, 
Yeah, Brighton in the top half is, is, I think, surprising to a lot of people, including myself. I don't think many people saw that coming before the season started. But, yeah, as you say, I mean, not just on paper, on the game. I mean, it was it was back and forth. There were chances on both ends. It was a pretty entertaining game, actually, to watch. Um, it, it's I mean, Brighton usually are underperforming their XG, right? That's what we talk about all the time. <laughs> they actually had less XG than Brentford in this game. Right, exactly. They overperformed their XG this time, uh, 0.79 to 0.86. Brentford with the 0.86. And, and obviously... Uh, them able to get uh you know those 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 two goals but it was i mean brentford played well brentford had their chances uh it definitely could have gone either way it just brighton were able to be clinical as you say um put those last two in it's so funny that that whole kind of repeating pattern of brighton underperforming their xg but then in this game you know uh, the XG philosophy, which is one of the main Twitter accounts, which tweets out the uh, XG of, of most games. They tweeted, you know, Brighton 0.79, but two goals to Brenton, Brentford's 0.86, no goals. And the Brighton Twitter admin replied, it's a Christmas miracle. That's, we. I respect that. That's that's quality right there. So, yeah. Um, and now, Justin, we'll move on to today's only game and the last game of match week 19 um which was manchester united obviously Ole-less manchester united <laughs> heading off to newcastle up north um to take on the tunes at st james's park i mean it was alan st maximin scoring just a, a lovely goal um in the seventh minute to to get it started for newcastle um dings past a couple defenders and then kind of falling down managed to place it in the corner david de gea left absolutely rooted uh, nothing you could do about it and, but United would find fight back through Edinson Cavani, um, just in the right place at the right time. His first shot actually got blocked, but it fell right back to him, pokes it into the corner, and then it ends 1-1. But overall, a very disappointing performance for Manchester United. I saw a lot of United fans fuming on Twitter. Um, and, and it leads us on to, we do have some questions about United coming later on, which I think we'll, we'll be very excited to answer because um, this was not a good performance against Newcastle, who are you know 19th, have been garbage this season, quite frankly, despite being the richest club in the world. Um, but obviously, they have not been able to employ that thus far. Um, and, and so their performances have been very poor under Eddie Howe, obviously under Steve Bruce beforehand as well. Um, but Alan St. Maximin continues just to be the spark of light in that squad. He's quality. Um, and, and I honestly think unless Newcastle really get their act together soon, it, he could be moving on because he might be progressing a lot faster than that project will. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, do you really see Newcastle being good enough within two, three years to warrant keeping St. Maximin? Because I don't. I think he should. I, I, I honestly think he's, you know, far too good for the state of that club at the moment. You know, maybe... If we're five years from now, no, but we're not because Newcastle very well, very well may be working on this project from the championship next season. Yeah, well, that I mean, that's the question really is how fast can Newcastle get this project done? Because if so, uh, I mean, if they can keep Maxim, say Maxim, if they can get it done quickly, I think that having ASM and keeping him could be the player that you build around. Um, I, I think actually he should stay in my opinion. I would if I was him, I would say he can become a Newcastle legend. I mean, if he if he wins the Premier League with Newcastle in five, six, seven years, something like that, that would be incredible. I mean, he would be an instant legend for them, obviously, um, because he is really the only player at the level that could stay um, for the next, you know, however long that as Newcastle builds, maybe Callum Wilson, but that's a stretch. Um, yeah, but he's entering his prime. He he's is. 24 years old. 
And I just don't see Newcastle getting to the level despite the money. I don't see them getting to a level good enough for him to not be, you know, wasting years of his career at Newcastle. Like, I think it's going to take them five, six years to, to actually become competitive. Um, you know, it, these projects don't quite happen overnight. It took City a few years, and that was in a much less competitive environment, I'd say, at that time in a league that was almost entirely dominated by Manchester United in, in the late 2000s. And where with Newcastle, you know, you have Chelsea, Liverpool, City, obviously, you know, that top three, which seem, which, you know, no one's near them really at the moment. Right. Um, and, and so it's going to take them a while to get up to that level. And St. Maximin will be playing his best football within the next three, four years. And I don't know. I just think it would make a lot more sense for him. I think he's Champions League quality and I think he could go now. And, you know, that could be, I mean, not like Newcastle need more money is the only yeah, thing. I just think it, number one. It would be a really bad look for Newcastle. No, I I don't think Newcastle should sell him. Yeah. But I if I were him, I would leave. Is is kind of my yeah, point. I I wouldn't actually. I mean, I think he in in three years at at the latest they should be in Europa League, um and, and pushing for Champions League and four. We'll see about that. Years. It's not that simple. I, I mean, I think that they we'll see how it works out. But I think if I'm ASM, I would like to stay. But I like the question. Is I mean, it's definitely an interesting topic. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what they do in January, right? Which we we've been talking about since the takeover. You yeah. know, how well, much are they going to splash this season to try to stay up? Yeah. I think if they go down, I'd be surprised if he stayed personally. Yeah, if if they, if, if, if if they, they go, go down. down, I don't personally think they'll go down because I think they'll spend though. But I mean, let's going back to the the game at hand. I mean, right. past, past four games for uh, Newcastle. Tell me which one doesn't fit. Leicester 4-0, Liverpool 3-1, Man City 4-0, United 1-1. Right. Uh, so, I mean, you there, there's, there's a difference in level here you can easily see. Um, but to me, this was, uh, in the first half at least, uh, uh, Ralph Ragnick ticked a tactical disaster class. I don't know what he was thinking um, with his tactics in this game. He played essentially a 4-2-2-2, uh, which was... It's not really problematic, but the the issue was Bruno was extremely high in a front four, basically playing up top with Ronaldo, uh, had Rashford on the right, Greenwood on the left for the most part, and so you just had McFred sitting there in in behind, in front of the two center backs, and they can't progress the ball anywhere. Where are no. they going to play to? No. So they're they're just trying to ping it out wide to Rashford, and there's nowhere to go. There's no connection um, between between the lines. So. There, Ronaldo, you could see, was getting frustrated within 20 minutes. He was screaming at his own players. He was screaming at the referee. He, uh, and then, of course, at halftime, you, you could tell the subs needed to be made, and uh, they were made with Greenwood uh, and, and Fred off and, and bringing on um, Sancho and Cavani, of course, Cavani being ending up the one who scored. But what happened was Cavani would then go up top with Ronaldo, bringing Bruno back deeper um, and, and allowing some movement, which was better for United. But I'm... Really confused what Ragnick was thinking uh, in that first half, honestly. Maybe he didn't realize how bad McFred really is. <laughs> but even if they're not ball progressing midfielders, even if they're even if they're better than you know, even if he thinks they're better than what they are, that's not what their jobs are. I mean, you have, I mean, even even Van de Beek or somebody like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Right, Van de Beek can can do that. Um, but it's just, it's not even that. It's Bruno. I mean, Bruno's the guy that's supposed to be doing that. He's supposed to be your, your a creative midfielder at that 10 spot or that second striker. But when he's playing up top next to Ronaldo, he has no ability to do that with back to goal. All right, Justin. I think that kind of leads us into the next portion of the episode, which is fan questions. We do have quite a few about United. Um, and so let's get right into that. So our first question comes from 
longtime contributor and friend of the podcast who, you know, we also had questions from last week. Um, we had a lot more questions this week, so he won't be the only one this time. Um, but it is, of course, Zilla on Twitter. Uh, and he asked, where will Man United finish at the end of the season? And he also said that he's starting to believe that the problem at United isn't the manager, um, but is the players. So, Justin, what are your thoughts on these, you know, that question and that kind of theory, if you will? Well, here's the thing, right? I think if we're talking about the players, the, the biggest player that has to be talked about is Ronaldo. Because you, you bring him in, the the team has to be built around him. I mean, Ragnick, obviously, we're pressing. We saw today Bruno was the only one really pressing. Ronaldo's just kind of standing there getting mad at people. Um, Rashford and Greenwood even not helping enough. But uh, I don't know. What I've been saying about Ragnick is this. It's going to take him time. So if it's... If it's, it's literally been like two weeks, like right, and and especially with the way that he plays with a, a gang and pressing side, you have to. It's it's a team, uh, you know, idea, and so you have to. It's going to take time for the for the team to adapt to that and learn his style of play. So if it is, uh, you know, a manager problem, we don't know yet, right? And if it's a player problem, well, okay, but the manager's not the, the system's not there yet, right? So to me, the question is, if it's a, if it's a player problem, I mean, it might be Ronaldo. I mean, you look at Ronaldo, he's in the past what five years he hasn't really won much he's only his teams are generally doing worse than they were the year before when he gets there Mm -hmm. and for the past five years every single manager he's had has gotten sacked so if it's a player problem it's a Ronaldo problem but if it's a manager problem I think that you know it's just that it hasn't we haven't had enough time yet um and as far as where they'll finish sixth place interesting interesting I mean I said that they would still get the fourth spot last week obviously not as confident about that right now considering how other teams are playing um at this point i think your hot take was that it would be spurs um i think that that seems relatively likely to be honest because they, they are playing really well and they have a manager who you know obviously also has come in midway through the season but i think his ideas will be a lot more easily imparted on Tottenham squad than Renmix will on United concerning considering how much of a departure from what Ole did was, you know, it's almost an exactly opposite kind of thing. You know, this Gagan pressing style, you know, it you couldn't be much further than from what Ole did than Gagan pressing, right? right? So it's gonna be interesting for them. In terms of Ronaldo, um, you know, I agree. I, I personally think at this point in his career, although he still scores a lot of goals and you know he had his stats if you will i personally don't think ronaldo makes um most teams particularly better better over like the course of a whole season mm-hmm. you know he scores goals and you know his stats are still impressive but do i think united are particularly better this season than they were last season with ronaldo no not really i i don't um but i think january is going to be big for them um, because I just don't see a world in which they don't bring in a midfielder, or I don't see how you could justify not bringing in a midfielder. You know, they might not. Obviously, they spent a lot of money in the summer, but at the same time, it's so obviously a it, just the giant gaping hole, and just there's a giant neon sign that says our midfield sucks, basically to the entire league, and yeah. everyone knows it, right? They they have to find they have to find a midfielder who can do what they what they require that you know McTominay Fred I mean I still think Van de Beek hasn't been given enough of a chance at all I think he's a, a good player to say. Yeah, but but you're even, spending forty million on a player or whatever well, yeah. spent, and then you're benching him it's like that's the yeah, midfielder no, that you're supposed no, to buy no no you're right but at the same time 
Um, do I think Van de Beek can just come into the squad as is and transform it? No. no, I don't. Because I think you put him next to McTominay or you put him next to Fred, and that's still not going to be very good. I think you need to find someone to put next to, to Van de Beek, and you put McTominay and Fred firmly on the bench. Yeah. So um, that's kind of my thoughts on it is, you know, at this point I'm not confident that they'll finish fourth unless they sign. If they sign a, a good quality midfielder, I think they have a, a decent chance to finish fourth. But as of now, um, I, I think sixth place is not is not a bad guess, Justin. And I, I think I might agree with that um, after seeing just how poor they were today against one of the you know probably the second worst team in the entire league. Yeah, San- Sancho is the other piece of that puzzle that I think we um, should be mentioned because yeah, it, he hasn't been great obviously, and he looked good today in my opinion. I mean, he was off the off the bench, he creating a lot. Uh, on the ball, he looked very creative. Um, so we'll see, but I, I mean, I'm sure he'll improve, and that will obviously improve United. We got we had a lot of United questions actually, um, which probably makes sense actually because we put this out right after the or right during the United game, right? Yeah. Um, but the the next one uh, comes from uh, Sam uh, Sam's Ginger on on Twitter. Asks, do you think Greenwood will reach his full potential, or would you say Ronaldo and Cavani are stunting his development, forcing him to play wide? That is a really good question. Yeah, so I, I think this is something that was discussed in, in one of my chats. I'll also add this uh, question, just it's also a United question, um, which is Dean Henderson should start at Old Trafford because of his sweeping, cross-claiming, uh, on the ball ability whilst being a good shot stopper. Not better than da- David De Gea, though. Um, that, that's, that's a hot take. So... And that comes from BF18 underscore season, which is Bruno Fernandez18 on Twitter. So, um, yeah, that's you know two another two really good questions. Let's start with the Greenwood one, Justin. Yeah. I mean, for me, Green it's it's a yes and a no. Very simply, yes, Greenwood is being limited on the on the wing. I think that when Ronaldo came, the the fear for at least City fans was he's Greenwood's going to learn from Ronaldo. He's going to become that clinical number nine. I mean. Ra- it's Rashford too, though, because Rashford, I mean, in in the United Academy, or you know, when he he was the number nine originally, then Greenwood played the number nine. Rashford got moved to the wing, uh, and, and now Greenwood was the number nine coming out of the academy, right? Gr- Greenwood to me is just such a clinical, clinical finisher that if he could learn from Ronaldo, that would be um, incredible for for United's future and, and wherever he goes, really. Um, but I do think that, yeah, it's not great for him to to play wide. I think that. It's not Ronaldo stunting his growth necessarily because he could learn a lot from Ronaldo yeah. Cavani as well. But it's does he get that opportunity to learn from them? Can he pick up enough? Um, and, and yeah, playing wide is obviously not his best position. But if he can learn from them, as I say, yeah, that that's what scares me about uh, Greenwood. And then the Dean Henderson, um, the answer is no. Dean Henderson should not start. Um, David De Gea is the reason that United are... I mean, United would have lost this game today to Newcastle if it wasn't for David De Gea. He continues to keep them in games, win points for them. He is arguably the best... Uh, in my opinion, he's probably the best keeper in the Premier League right now. Wow. Yeah, he, he's been phenomenal this season. I mean, really, really good this season. We know that the past year or two have not been uh, David De Gea form, but he's returning to what we know David De Gea to be, in my opinion. Interesting. Um, on Greenwood, uh, I think for me, yes, I still think he'll reach his full potential. Um, no, I don't say I don't think Ronaldo and Cavani are stunting his development. 
Um, you could say it's delaying it, but he's only 20 years old, right? Um, and, and Ronaldo and Cavani are two extremely experienced strikers who both, I don't think, will be staying at Old Trafford for very long, right? Ronaldo only signed a two-year deal. Well, Cavani, if they don't make UCL, Ronaldo will want to leave this summer. You're probably not wrong. And, and Cavani, obviously, we almost thought he was going to leave this summer, right? Thought he was going back to South America. He's getting on as well. So, no, I don't. Because I, I think, do I think Greenwood is ready to start every single game for Manchester United right now? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. Um, but once Ronaldo and Cavani leave and have imparted that knowledge on him, you know, obviously an extremely naturally talented player, um, I think, you know, by the time he's 22, 23, he will be that Rashford type where, where you know, when he's fit, he's going to be starting pretty much every single game for United. And I think he will definitely be good enough to do that. So, um, no, honestly, I, I don't. As much as I don't think Ronaldo... Um, you know, contributes really that much to United other than saving their ass in group stage games against Villarreal and whatnot. Um, I, I don't think that that's necessarily stunting uh, Cavani or stunting Greedwood's uh, growth. Um, and then about Dean Henderson, um, I do really like Dean Henderson. I think that he will be United's number one um, sooner than later. But yeah, I mean, De Gea has been better this season, but that, you know, in my opinion, wasn't very difficult to do considering how poor he was the two <laughs> years before. Right. Um, so I, I don't think Dean Henderson should start now. No. I also don't think that De Gea is the best goalie in the Premier League right now. But um, season. no, I still think it's Edward Mendy, in my opinion. Um, but Mendy had a great season last season, but he's made a few mistakes this season already. Mm-hmm. I I guess. I still just think in general he's he's the best um, you could say De Gea is in slightly better form than him right now, but I, I still think it's Mendy. But yeah, I mean, either way, De Gea is good enough to be keeping Dean Henderson in, in the number two spot. I think that's totally fine for now. And, you know, in, in goalie careers, you know, those, you know, really start later. Like it's abnormal to see a goalie like Jordan Pickford, for example, who has been starting every single week in the Premier League since he was about 21, right? right. That's, that's not common. Dean Henderson is only 24. Right. Yes, he was really good at Sheffield. Do I think him going out on loan could be beneficial again? You know, honestly, potentially, because he, I do think that he should get games. He's just unlucky that he has, you know, arguably Manchester United legend in David de Gea yeah. in front of him. Well, that's why he left Sheffield, right? Because he said, "I want to fight for that number one. I don't want." Loans yeah, anymore. but right now he's, you know, he's not quite good enough, and de Gea hasn't fallen off quite enough for him to overtake him yet. At the end of last season, it was a lot closer, and yeah. I could have made an argument for Dean Henderson starting. Right now, no. But I do think Dean Henderson will end up as United number one at some point in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, a year and a half ago, I would have agreed uh, Dean Henderson, but, yeah, De Gea returned to form. Uh, we can move... We, we have we have an Arsenal question because we have an Arsenal fan uh, who has your name, Garrett, uh, or, or on uh, Twitter, he's known as G Money now. Um, his question is, will Arsenal finish in the top four, in your opinion? What is their lowest finish, and what is their highest finish? Okay. Um, no, I don't think they will finish in the top four, but I do agree that fourth is their highest finish. Okay. I think they could finish in the top four for sure. Yeah. Um, lowest finish? Um, I could see them, you know, if they really have a poor back half of the season, they could de- probably drop to seventh, but I'd be surprised to see them drop much lower than that. Maybe eighth, but that would require a pretty bad 
second half of the season. So I see them finishing in, in either fifth or sixth in, in a Europa League spot, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, my answer as well is I don't think so, but because I, I think they'll finish fifth currently. I, I said last week uh, I think Spurs will get that fourth spot. Yeah, I'm leaning that fifth, way too. United sixth. That's how I've been for the past few weeks. Um, You've convinced just, me. Yeah, that, that's where I sit. But I will say... Uh, highest potential is third. No chance. It's, it's possible. I, no. I, I just want to put it out there because it's possible. Because no. Unless Lukaku can save Chelsea, which I think there's a high likelihood he does because he changes that team completely. Obviously, one of the best strikers in the world. But ha- if Lukaku doesn't hit the ground running and, and you know build that team so that they can score goals without their defenders scoring them all and Jorginho scoring them from the penalty spot... If that that is the difference to me. If Lukaku can you know score 10, 15 goals this season, then Chelsea will easily finish in that third spot. If not, should Arsenal have that chance if they have an incredible season? As do Spurs. As, as both of them could could hop it. But yes, very likely um, I see Arsenal in fourth or fifth. Um, I predict that fifth spot. But yes, highest potential I think is third, and lowest I agree with Garrett seventh. I don't think I don't think eighth because I don't think they finish below Wolves or Brighton. Um, or Leicester, even Villa. I, I don't think any of these, um, you know, eight potentially Leicester if they start rising. There's no. I'm sorry, but there's no chance Arsenal are finishing above Chelsea in my mind. Just no chance. They Very are little. They are too inconsistent. Like yes, they've been playing good, but you forget that three weeks ago they went to Goodison Park against a Everton team who had who had not won in eight games, starting Andros Townsend and Anthony Gordon in their midfield, and they lost. Um, and they deserved to lose. They got outplayed thoroughly throughout the entire game. So, no. Arsenal are not going to finish above Chelsea. There is zero chance. I would put money on that with you right now, Justin, because in, in well, my I don't, mind... I'm not saying they will. I'm no, saying there's a chance. But no, I don't think there is. because you and, and you look at the table, and yes, oh, you're not convinced by Chelsea. They still have a 20 better goal difference than Arsenal do. Right. It's 29 to 9. Like right. it, The gap between the top three and everyone else is huge because those are three teams that can beat anyone that will most likely beat everyone else. And, you know, they are the most consistent out of the league, and it's not even close. And the fact of the matter is that that fourth spot is the one being talked about up for grabs because there's none of the teams below third place are good enough to really touch any of the top three, in my opinion. Chelsea and Arsenal, yeah, no. Arsenal have zero zero chance of finishing third, in my opinion. So fourth is the highest that they would get. Obviously, the difference between third and fourth you know, other than bragging rights over London rivals, doesn't really matter. So, you know, a Champions League spot for Arsenal would still be a massive accomplishment after being out of that, you know, that that conversation for so long, really since, you know, two years before Wenger left, I believe. So that would be big for them. But no, I, I have to strongly disagree. I, I don't think third is possible for them whatsoever. Um, and Justin, we've been talking about City a lot the last couple of weeks. But we have failed to acknowledge one of the biggest pieces of news coming out of uh, the Etihad complex recently. And that is regarding the transfer of Ferran Torres to Barcelona. Um, he was spotted in Barcelona this morning to complete his transfer. Yes, his um, medical went through. Yeah, yeah and so we, we have some questions um, about him. So the, the first comes from Corey and, you know, he actually – he has kind of two questions here about Ferran. The first of which is how many goals will he get next season for Barcelona? And uh, the second is how much do you think Ferran will be worth in the next couple of years? So let's – I don't know. Let's put maybe two, three years when we're talking about couple. 
three years from now, how much will Ferran Torres be worth? Obviously, I think the deal to Barcelona is 55 million euros um, is the fee that I saw with potential add-ons, I think. About 10, so it'll it'll rise to about 65. That's, where are Barcelona getting this money? Uh, Goldman Sachs. They, they got a 500 million or something like that, uh, a loan from Goldman Sachs, which is, I don't know how how you see that as a, I don't see how Goldman Sachs sees that as a profitable well, investment. Well, firstly that, but also I don't see how Barcelona, you know, they're a billion dollars in debt, just yeah. lost their best player of all time. Right. And they're like, oh, we have a loan. Let's not use that to pay off our debt. Let's go buy a midfield. Let's go buy a winger. Yeah. Um, I, I find that Striking, quite, yeah. I find that quite comical. But I mean, I think it's a good, I mean, it's in terms of, you know, the player itself, Ferran Torres, is very talented. And, and honestly, when I was seeing the news about this being broken, I was like, why would City sell him? Because um, he is extremely talented. But then you look at the other talent that City have in that area, Mares, Bernardo Silva, Grealish, Foden, Sterling. They're not really strapped for wingers. And Jesus. Um, yeah, well, Jesus, obviously, who we think is better, much better as a winger than a striker. And so then you think, well, for, okay, well, City are going to go buy a striker. Yeah, Ferran, well, Ferran is a striker. That's the thing, right? I mean, he plays. <sighs> well, he plays nine for the national team. I'm sure he'll. Yeah, play. but I wouldn't. Put, I don't. I just. You, I don't think putting him as an out and out nine across a whole season, you're going to be successful. I I predict that's what he'll play for Barcelona. So, Interesting. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think yeah, he will play that nine, in my opinion. Well, maybe you know they did just lose Aguero. Yeah. So that that's part of it for sure. That's um, true. But how many goals do you think he'll score in? Let's say in league goals in La Liga. How many goals will Ferran score for Barcelona next season? It's a good question. Or, or I mean, we could even say back half of this season, right? Because he'll be well, playing for them for the next six months as well. Well, that's true. Yeah. Next. Well, yeah. The question is, this season he'll probably score a, a, a good few. Yeah. Five, five, five six. six. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, and then next season maybe maybe. Aiming to triple that, maybe fifteen, if he can have a really good season um, for Bar- if he can you know stay and play that number nine all season. I think that's a bit high, personally. I mean, Memphis Depay has been scoring quite a few goals for them, but I, I'd say you know that, that's still a very very dysfunctional of, squad. Uh, um, there's a lot of competition in La Liga to you know, pagan goals against. Yeah, but Xavi also hasn't really convinced me too much as of yet. Obviously, he's inherited a giant mess that he has to deal with, but I'll give Ferran. 12 goals next season in La Liga is, is what I'll say. Yeah. How much do you think he'll be worth? Um, I'd be surprised if it was less than what... Well, I mean, I don't think he's necessarily worth what Barcelona are paying for him. I think he might that might be a, a little bit expensive, in my opinion. Yeah, certainly a large profit for City off it, of a it one-year is, investment. But that's also because Valencia sold him at a cut-rate price because sure. they fire-sold their entire squad, right? Sold their club captain and Dani Parejo to Villarreal, and then he goes and wins the Europa League within six months. So, yeah, no, not a good look for Valencia whatsoever, considering, you know, not only did they sell him for, for chips to you guys, but now that's then being sold on for an even bigger profit to Barcelona. Um, yeah, so, so essentially 3x your money for City in a year. Which yeah. Is quite an investment for sure. Yeah, but how much do I think he'll be worth? Um, I mean, interesting question because I'm assuming he's signing a, a long-term deal. I actually haven't five seen years. the length. was five years. Um I think he'll probably be worth what Barcelona are paying for him now. So let's say 65 million euros. Yeah, I think I think what they're paying is about what he'll be worth, uh, up to maybe 80 if he if he performs to. If, if he gets 15 goals plus next season, yeah, you could you could see him being up to 70, 80, something yes. like that. But he's not going to be leaving Barcelona. Exactly. Most likely. Yeah, that's the thing. It seems like a long term move to it me. It certainly is because City was that long term move, right? That's what he wanted to do. Um, yeah, I just felt disrespected by the way that he talked about Silva and taking that number 21 shirt and then leaving immediately. But 
Um, you understand he he wants to go back to Spain. He wants to go to the massive club. He's Spain also going to play a lot more at Barcelona than he than he Certainly. does at City, just because of as all those names I all just mentioned. Right, City have a ridiculous amount of depth in his position, so he will get much more playing time. Um, and Barcelona is you know as, as a Spaniard that that is like kind of the dream club to play for. But I do agree that the way that he left City, you know, not a great look. Um, let's move on to another question. We have a couple questions um, about fullbacks here, Justin. We talked extensively about Cancelo and his kind of placement within um, the fullbacks in world football at the moment. So someone just so Corey also said Cancelo or Trent overall, and we answered that last week, so we can brush through this pretty quickly. It's Cancelo. Yeah. It like it, I, in my opinion, it's not close because Trent is a winger. (laughs) Cancelo has the ability to defend. Yes, and Trent doesn't. Um, And would you say Trent's playmaking is much much better, if at all better, than Cancelo's at the moment? His crossing is better, but... Yeah. Because that's what he does, but... But But that's all he does. Yeah, but in tight spaces, Cancelo's clear... Uh, shooting from distance, they can both do it. I mean, Trent can bang a free kick, to be fair to him. That's true. And and he did score an absolute screamer last week. So they're both very, very good going forward. As did Cancelo against Newcastle. But even if you do believe that Trent's better going forward than Cancelo, which, in my opinion, it's very close. Very close. The difference in defensive abilities and versatility in terms of people always talk about playing Trent as a midfielder, but he doesn't actually ever do that. Cancelo can play as a midfielder, and a lot of the time when he's playing fullback, he basically is a midfielder, and he can do it all, and that's why I think overall Cancelo is significantly clear of Trent at this moment in time. Trent, I'll just remind everyone, this is a, a, a right back, a defender who is, what, five foot ten. And he has an aerial win rate of like 23% or something horrible like that. Um, yeah, it, not good. Trent, and, that is. Yeah, Trent, that is. And that's, um, you know, you can just hit kind of long balls at him and he'll get exposed. And I've seen it happen many times. Also, I will never forget Vinicius Jr. absolutely tearing him to pieces in the Champions <laughs> League last year. So, no, definitely Cancelo. Um, but then the other fullback question was this is a, a hot take from Adam at Father Ruben three? He says Walker, Kyle Walker is the best Premier League right back of all time. Justin, I, I love this question because it's a question that my is a hot debate um, in my apartment because one of my roommates who is a, is a Chelsea fan agrees with this take. He believes full heartedly that Walker is the best Premier League right back of all time, um, and, and my other roommate who is a City fan doesn't believe that. He believes he's an overrated pace merchant. <laughs> um, and and so, to me, it's, it's somewhere in the middle, right? I think we've talked about this before, Garrett. It's, yeah. It's, it's, he's a really good player, but he's always on that edge of world class. He's not quite there. Yeah. But he, um, it, obviously, his pace really helps. Nobody's doubting that. But to me, you can't just discount somebody's pace when you're evaluating a player. Because well, obviously. Because part of who they are. And so his recovery speed and, and his ability to track back is really impressive. His ability to play right back and right center back is crucial, not only for England, but for City when needed. It's it, it, like if you... In know, a back three. Right. Just well, well, asterisk. Well, right. You, you, you're three, not gonna. But, well, you're not gonna put him center back in a back four. No, but I mean, what I mean by that is that it allows Cancelo to go freely on the left side. Yeah, that's with, true. Without much issue in, in tracking back, he doesn't need to because Kyle will shift almost next to the Ruben and Stones or, or Laporte. But yet there. again, Cancelo can track back a lot better than Trent can. Right, so. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but but yeah. So I would say no. He's not the best 
uh, Premier League right back of all time. Still has to be Gary Neville for yeah, me. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It has to be Gary Neville for me. I hate to have to say that, but yeah, um, yeah, just I think... too too much success over too long a period of time. But I think Kyle Walker, you could you could make a very compelling argument that he's top five, if not top three. So he's he's not far off. Yeah, but he's not because, Gary Neville because just just amount of time, number of trophies won, games won, points. I'm sure if you looked at all these numbers, they he'd be up there because. I mean, he plays for an insanely good team. So, right, yeah. and even before that, he played in the Premier League, right? Not obviously. Yeah, obviously yeah. Well, he, he played trophies for... at Spurs. But... No, no. <laughs> but yes, um... he was still very good, right? That's that's how he earned his his move to City, and I, you know, that was, you know, Spurs fans were not happy about that at the time. I remember when it happened, um, but I, it was a very good career move for him, in my opinion. But no, he's not the best Premier League right back of all time, but he is very good. He is very good, and, and he will, you know, likely go down as one of the, you know, he'll be a city legend. Yeah. He, he will be. Yeah, more. You know, not quite like com- company Silva level, but. Yeah, it, I honestly feel he's more of a Premier League legend than he is a city legend, but. Interesting. Yeah, it, it's it's a little bit weird, but I mean, I don't want to discredit his, his city. Like, he should be, but yeah, d- different levels for sure. And then our last question from Corey, which I think is our last Premier League question as well, uh, is Ferna finished? Is Fernandinho finished? Um, to me, this question is: What exactly do you mean? Because he's still he, he can still play, and he he's can play on the pitch. I know um, he he didn't have the best game uh, when Rodri was benched, but I mean it was really he because he played he started against Leicester, did he not? Yeah, yeah. So okay, well he had a bad ten minutes. Like um, he, I thought he was good in the first half. I, I didn't see anything wrong. I mean, City in general were were insane, but yeah, he he's not very fast, and that got exposed by those counterattacks, right? Left, yeah. um, he you know they would, he get broken past with one with one kind of incisive pass, and then all of a sudden you have a two on one with either Ruben Diaz or Laporte being exposed, and you know Leicester half pace. Adamola, Lookman, Kelechi, Inacho, both fast players. James Madison can you know he has a turn of pace if he if he wants to. Obviously, you know not quite the same as those other two. But is Fernandinho finished? Um, no, but he's obviously not what he used to be. Yeah, and it's like it's his it's his last season anyway, right? We know yeah. that it, he's he's going to be done after this season. Hopefully, he'll join the city uh, coaching staff or, or of, of some co- some sort. But yeah, I mean, he's definitely older. He's Rodri's better, Roger, more fit, obviously. And but you know, Fernandinho, his, his reading of play and his ability to be in the right place at the right time never changes. So is he finished? I mean, it's his last. It's his last. Um, it's his last season. So no, he's not finished. But his his career is is coming to an end. Yes. So nobody expected him to be the old Fernandinho. Yeah. I mean, in six months he will literally be finished. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that that's why I'm like, it depends on what you, what you mean by the question. And then uh, the last question, I believe here. Yes, our last question from uh, a good friend Eric um, uh, is my favorite question. Uh, honestly, is is. Is the model of flipping South Americans really the selling model, or is it the academy development like Dallas uh, or, or Philadelphia? Um, American players are a hot commodity in Europe right now, it seems. That's that's what Eric says. So this is like an MLS-based question. What are is, is it better to you know flip your South Americans, you buy and sell, or is it better to build players from the youth academy um, like we see from Philadelphia uh, and FC Dallas, right? FC Dallas have a lot of... Famous academy graduates, obviously Weston McKinney, Ricardo Pepe's the new one, Justin Che, uh, Reggie Cannon. We got a, a bunch of these players, right? And then Philadelphia as well. Uh, Brendan Aronson, Zach Steffen, Thomas Romero. Right. 
I mean, I think uh, uh, this is kind of a cop-out answer, but um, I think you can't really rely on one without the other. Um, I think you need to do both. Um, so, you know, you could argue which one's better. Obviously, teams have had success with flipping South Americans. You know, De- De- uh, Rossi, Diego Rossi is a, an example of that. You know, Almiron, big money move to, to Newcastle abroad. Atlanta made a lot of money, reinvested that into PT, you know, who obviously left and whatnot. But, you know, um, but at the same time, you know, Americans have, you know, like Brent, I think Brennan, the Aronson brothers are a good example right. in, yeah. in Philadelphia. Um, but a lot of times you're making less money off those players because they're leaving so young that you're not going to get super high fees. Where Diego Rossi is, what, 23, 24 when he left, so he's entering his prime, so you're going to get a good amount of money. Where in terms of, you know, players leaving, American players in the academy, Weston McKinney, how much money did Dallas get for Weston McKinney? The answer is nothing. Um, and, and so, in my opinion, in order to be, you know, a, a franchise in MLS, which is consistently producing talent not only from players abroad but in your academy you can't focus on one or the other you need to do both and you know that's difficult and a cop-out answer but um i I think that's the best way i could answer that question it's a very very good question and definitely something to be thinking about yeah i love the question because it's really is it you lafc is why he starts this question right because we we love south american players we have a good relationship with penyrol and uruguay um you know, as you mentioned, Rossi, now Rodriguez as well, um, and, and we bought Chicho as well from Colombia. It's it's what, um, you know, LFC likes to do. I think Atlanta, as you said, is another good example of, of that type of strategy. Yeah. Whereas... Barco, you know, who could be leaving at some point would be another example of that, right? Right, absolutely. And then we see, obviously, the other ones we mentioned, FC Dallas, uh, Philadelphia, really good um, starting to do that. And so I, I think LFC are trying to implement what you're saying, do both, right? Because we do have some academy players starting to come through uh our, i believe our, our academy just won the mls next or something like that but uh regardless i think to me the answer is y- yes you have to do both it's you have to sell but i don't love this whole flipping south americans thing i think academy is better because you're not spending money on these players and there there's less risk um because you know pepe is they're they're asking for about 10 million right now which is you know a good chunk of money, obviously, yeah. and they spent nothing on him, right? Um, and same thing with they're they're going to get a good amount from Justin Che eventually, I'm sure. They have a, you know a, a good uh, system that they're building through, so I I like I like that best. It, for me, it's academy players, and if you can build your academy and sell those players, that's better than buying a player for f- three, four, five million and hoping that you can sell them for ten or fifteen. And with that, I think that concludes our episode of our Boxing Day special. Uh, Last episode of the year, right? Yes, absolutely. Last episode of 2021. We will see you guys back in 2022. Woo! Can't wait. Um, Yes, thank you for all the questions. They were really, really good questions. I think we we should keep doing this, man, because, you know, as much as we do love talking through games and whatnot, but I foresee there being still more COVID cancellations in the future. So, uh, you know, asking questions and and a lot of interesting topics that we got in, you know, the last two weeks. Um, So be sure to follow us on Twitter at U90Football, U90Football, to, you know, we'll be tweeting out, asking for hot takes, questions, comments, whatnot. Um, and definitely go get them in there. Yeah, absolutely. Think of them. Get ready for the week when you're when you're watching the games. Think about your questions and and drop them in our uh, in our Twitter. Um, we really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. 
and we'll see you in 2022.